This episode is part of the Business 101 series, featuring faculty and collaborators of Lundquist College of Business at the University of Oregon. I sat next uh, yesterday in the board meeting next to two men, only to discover that the three of us be students. <laughs> so my point in bringing this up is that to be really incredibly successful in um, the business world, you really need to be well-rounded as, to, as opposed to just smart. Hi, I'm Troy Campbell, an assistant professor here at the University of Oregon, and this is 101, the podcast with a quest to know and enjoy the 101 of everything. Today we have a guest conversation. What's that? A 101 guest conversation features professionals who believe so much in the power of education, they have personally become involved in the education process as donors, collaborators, and board members. The guests come on to share their knowledge and passion for education in conversation with an academic. And we call them guest conversations, not guest lectures, because it better explains the process that we're going for here. A conversation with an academic and professional talking together as equals in the pursuit and dissemination of education. Today's topic is professionalism, and our guest to talk about it is Molly Malone, someone who today donates her time and money to help people build professionalism and careers. On the podcast, we have a real frank talk about being a professional person, loosely defined as a tenacious person who can get the job and get the job done. Often I worry that conversations about professional character are about as cliche as that definition of professional character that I just gave. But Molly's frank to the point conversation really unveils the idea of what this is and talks about it in concrete real ways that I think we can benefit from past all the cliches we've heard. The podcast takes us through Molly's story from being a seasonal retail employee to being a VP of retailing at Fred Meyer and Kroger. The conversation breaks down nicely into three steps. It starts a little student focused, but don't worry for all you non-students, it gets very broad and applicable to all by the end. The first step is before getting the job. We talk about developing character and why grades aren't everything. The second is during the job application, where editor Alec jumps in to explain how to give the perfect handshake and I talk telling your Disney destiny. And lastly, we talk about being professional at work itself, the grind and the energy you need to have. On drinks after class, Alec reflects on his own time as a seasonal retail employee. And I talk about how the core professional character is the same whether it's in the intense deadline world of retail that Molly comes from or the look at the stars and dream thinking of the world of Disney Imagineering and research where I come from. But I also note some important differences. So let's get into it now and dive into the 101 of professionalism with guest Molly Malone. So uh, to start us off, uh, Molly, you're a duck. Uh, what's your story? So my story is, how do you get through life being um, assertive, aggressive, um, and without being obnoxious and really getting to what you want to get to? And my thing really throughout my entire career has been how, how to help um, other employees or um, in a lot of cases other women, um, how to be successful um, in the business world. And that's really what I'm very, very passionate about. So um, you were obviously a duck. And so let's talk about a little bit your time as a duck, um, which I know from talking to you in the past was very busy, and not just the things you learned 
in a factual sense. Of course, knowledge is important, but there's this other aspect of college that I think goes sometimes unappreciated and students don't think of it as a place to train them like that. Um, when I was in school, I did the crazy ass thing. I got married at 20. Um, <laughs> that was crazy. But I also um, worked full time. So when you're going to school full time, being a wife and um, and working, you have to figure out how you're going to get it all done. So, you know, there comes the assertive, aggressive, organized and a driver, a driver, driver, because I wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed. I wasn't the one with the getting straight A's, but I was I was the one really making it all happen um, to, to get done in life um, and to move on with life. And I think there's such an interesting thing that lots of students like say say their 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 professors don't like them if they're not the straight A students. And I know there's even board members who I've met who sort of are like a little bit embarrassed about admitting the fact that they were a B student in class. And uh, what teachers love, of course, I love the student who studies and memorizes every single term that I teach them. But I love the students who's using that and passionate. I love the student who tells me, oh, I'm running this club or I'm part of this thing and developing this word that I've heard you use before, which is just a general sense of tenacity. Um, which is just get stuff done, get stuff done, get stuff done. I serve on um, the the board for the business school, and we were at a dinner last night. And I sat next uh, yesterday in the board meeting next to two men, only to discover that the three of us be students. <laughs> so my point in bringing this up is that – to be really incredibly successful in um, the business world, you really need to be well-rounded as, to, as opposed to just smart. So that was always my claim to fame with my um, three-point grade point average was um, I was really well-rounded. So I encourage kids or young students who, who are um, working really hard to do the best they can Truly that. Do the best you can and um, and get through it and get on with life. Yeah. And uh, I see it in uh, sort of on both sides of the equation is that some people who don't think they have the A's just don't um, don't approach professors and, and sort of shy away because they think they don't have the necessary quality. They think it's – they know it may not be sufficient to get the job, but they feel like it's necessary to have this high GPA, and it's it's just not. You're, you get intimidated by the, the ones you're sitting by who are the straight A's, and you, you really do. You think you're just not as good as them. Yeah, to all those students who may not be so – stoked about their GPA and feeling a little down. Still be brave. Still be brave. And if you're sitting on uh, on a Wednesday and you got uh, a five-hour block, you realize every Wednesday, you're like, what could I do with that five-hour block every Wednesday? What club could I do? What thing could I do? What could I try and make? How do I become more well-rounded, more experiences, um, more, um, and, and get out there and get a job? So so my um, first job, other than working for my father, was um, to work for what is now Macy's. And um, I was hired in October and told that if I did well, um, I could stay after Christmas. Because you know how all retailers cut everybody right after Christmas? So I worked in fine jewelry. Okay, so what does that have to do with anything we're talking about here? Well, you learn how to deal with the public. And you learn how to deal with the public at Christmas when they're panicked. And um, it it it... It, it was what um, um, got me started. It launched me into retail, and um, and there I stayed, and there was this huge career. So, you know, get out there and um, and try some things and um, and get some experience under your belt. Yeah. Um, let's talk about when anybody thinks about professionalism. Let's deal with that sort of elephant on the forehead everybody's thinking about. Is everybody's thinking about how do I succeed when I walk into an interview? And uh, 
This so, is... Troy, let me tell you my first thing. All right, go for it. First thing. Um, and this goes back to the dad is the car dealer. My dad told me when I was 12 and started working for him, he's like, Molly, if you're going to work in a man's world, you need to shake hands like a man. Okay, well, today it's not a man's world, but back then it was. And um, you would be surprised at how many women today that I meet that come into an interview that don't know how to shake hands. So should I make Troy stand up and shake my hand? Um, all right, so I'm going to try and shake your hand and make sure I do this right. Um, we're going to have to move away from the microphones. Here we go. All right. I hope I succeed. I'm really nervous. Are you really going to do this, my, Troy? My hand's actually sweating right now. I'm, I'm wiping it off. I'm afraid okay. he's going to break my hand okay, now. We're gonna go. Yeah, just I'm going to lean into this. Here we go. Hey, it's Alec here. I guess I need to introduce myself. I am the editor for this episode, and I will be having some friendly banter with Troy later on in the pod. So let's break down how to give the perfect handshake, because it really is more important than you might think. Your handshake will be the first thing that the interviewer will get to learn about you, and whatever impression you leave will be reflective of the confidence that you have in yourself. There are actually studies out there which reaffirm that a good handshake will form a positive first impression. So here are the things you should do for your handshake. First, make sure to audibly greet your interviewer and shake their hand once you have their attention. Second, maintain eye contact and make sure that you smile. Third, do what's called the web touch, which means that the patch of skin between your thumb and finger, which is called the web, touches the same spot on the other person's hand. Make sure not to give a limp shake, but you don't want to grasp their hand too hard. It's not a strength competition. Fifth, keep your handshake to only around five shakes. And lastly, make sure to remember the name of your interviewer so you can use it throughout the interview and wait for your interviewer to signal where you should sit. You don't want to assume. There are, of course, some don'ts to this process. Make sure that you do not miss their hand and end up grabbing their wrist or just their fingers. And most importantly, watch your timing. You don't want to offer a hand if the other person is in the middle of a conversation. And you also don't want to approach them from the side with an extended hand because it's really hard to see. You don't want to be left hanging. And that's really all there is. It may seem like a small and quick part of your professional introduction, but it's important for forming that crucial first impression. Now, let's get back to the pod where Troy and Molly will talk about this in further depth. The other thing is, is that you don't want a guy to shake a woman's hand like he thinks he's shaking a woman's yeah. hand. You want him to shake your hand, a woman. You want a guy to shake your hand like he's shaking another guy's hand. So all you guys out there who are shaking a woman's hand like she doesn't have a hand, stop it. Stop it. Yeah. And all you women, get out there and practice. Yeah. So I just, I just I shook hands with Molly Malone, and apparently I passed the test. So we're in an interview. We've came in. We've done the right handshake. So uh, I have some notes on here. Uh, other parts about sort of body position and just sort of general demeanor. Okay. So it's all about walking through the door and, and walking through the door uh, as if you own the room. Don't walk into an interview being sheepish or meek. Walk into the room, look the person in the eye, shake their hand, and, um, and act like, um, you are there for a real reason, and that's to get the job. So, you know, first impressions. I think, uh, Troy, weren't we talking about even first impressions with dating? Yeah. Yeah? It was yeah. not a whole lot different. I mean, this is like a blind date. You don't know who it is that you're going to go have this interview with, but you know exactly how to act. Act like you are a professional and that you're incredibly confident. Yeah. 
And, you know, this is just a situation we talk about, a lot about in consumer psychology of here's a situation where you have very little information as the interviewer about this person and you are trying to make a decision quickly, which means you are reading into every little signal that people give you. So every little thing you do uh, matters. Uh, a, a business professional doesn't really have time to be interviewing. There's not like time in their day to, to be scheduling to do this. So the little bit of time that you've got, the person's going to walk in the door and, you know, we're all human. We're going we're gonna to make a decision about this person the minute we see them. Um, so you also have talked to me about sort of just, you know, you want to have this general demeanor of I'm confident. Uh, I want this. Uh, I want this job. Uh, you know, stand, sit, not in a meek position. Have your prepared questions. But one of the things that I like that you said to me the last time we talked about is you want to act like this is the job that you want most on the planet. It's probably the best advice I could give anybody who's interviewing. Then, if you said, Molly, what's the number one thing you would tell somebody who's going into an interview? It would be at the end of the interview, tell the person who's interviewing you that you want the job, that you would, that is your dream job and you would do anything to get this job. Well, maybe not anything, but you know what I mean. <laughs> you know what I mean. So once you've done that, then you need to look the person in the eye and you need to say, have I convinced you I am the right person for the job? Have I convinced you that I'm the one that you should make the job offer to? And look them in the eye and then say it and then shut up. Like look at them and, let, and have them give you an answer back. Don't let them off the hook. What you're looking for is for them to say, well, you seem a little too laid back. You seem like maybe you can't work 50 hours a week. I mean, you're looking for them to give you what it is that has um, the opinion that they have formed in the time that they have interviewed you that might hold them back so that then you can address it. You can say to them, no, no, let me give you an, an example of like why I work, why I work so hard and, and how I am efficient or how, I mean, it give you the chance to, to tell this interviewer why it is you are the best person for the job. Yeah. And I think students have this weird, um, I mean, psychologically understandable demeanor sometimes, which is they wanted a better job than this because their friend got a job at Google and they're coming into this entry level sales job and that's not what they wanted. And they have sort of this combination of uh, a weird version of the entitled and feel it is, but also feel they don't want the job. And it just leads to this weird demeanor when you go into this thing is I don't like it and I think I'm better for this. And um, we all got to be like we're that scrappy upstarter. You just never know, though, the job that you're interviewing for that you're describing. Where is it going to go? What's it going to lead to? What are the um, doors that it's going to open? I mean, you could absolutely end up um, way more successful than your friend who started at Google. It's, it's all about um, how hard you're going to work and where you're going to go and who your mentors are going to be and what doors are going to be open for you. And so this, this sort of transitions into our sort of next topic, which was generally called the grind, which is just this idea is what you're saying is that uh, we think of these ideas as I'm going to open the store and I'm going to get this job or I'm going to get in this class or I'm going to go to this moment. And then that's going to be it. It's that's the destination rather than saying really how you succeed and potentially how you are happy in life is that daily you are working really, really hard um, in this uh, grind. As I talked to you before, I have this thing in my class called the weekly awesome. And people come into my class and they're like, oh, this is Troy's class. He's a creative person. He worked for Disney. I've seen him skateboarding around campus. This is going to be really fun. And my lectures are fun. But 
they then have this assignment where every week they have to be really, really creative and focused and communicate that idea, and it's really, really hard. And uh, my favorite responses I always get from this is, the Weekly Awesome, I hated it, Troy. I hated it. I thought I'd love it because it was creative, but I hated it. But I, it, I learned so much from it, and I, I developed this, this orientation. And so this idea that you get in the door and you just keep working at it because that's really what success is, is working at it and daily creating something awesome. I, I thought we'd talk about sort of one of, the, uh, one of your projects within the Kroger, Fred Meyer world. Uh, maybe talk about Black Friday as sort of like a really great example of how you have to be uh, just working really hard and grinding it out on so many different things uh, over a year. So I love the fact that it's your weekly awesome. <laughs> love that. Okay, so guys, the real world is you have to have daily awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's the real thing. So, so, um, but I don't, I don't think you'd be the favorite teacher. If you <laughs> no. It had to be every single no. day. But um, what you're talking about, Black Friday, of course, is everybody knows what that is. It's the day after Thanksgiving. But a retailer, uh, their their whole goal in life is to beat yesterday today's sales um, and to beat the profit that you make on those sales so biggest day of the year in terms of um, pure sales volume is black friday or black thursday friday saturday sunday whatever um, and you spend an entire year working on the promotion that you're going to put um, for sale that those particular days so when troy talks about the weekly awesome you're working on um, what's your awesome idea that's going to make what you did last year that you're going to do this year even better if if you really think about where the real business world is it's this grind and that really what the real world is looking for in a person is somebody who has this ability to consistently perform tenacity tenacity somebody who doesn't give up somebody who just keeps at it um, aggressive assertive tenacity and um, and so go back to uh, being a student being a duck being um, in the business school and go back to the original conversation of is it the one who's getting straight A's or is it the one who can balance a million things and keep coming up with your awesome weekly ideas and in so many ways um, being a real person is to some degree the way that a nightly talk show gets made which is whether it's Colbert or whoever it is and Colbert has this incredible slate working podcast where he describes this just you show up and you have a show at 4 p.m. and you have to be as good as you can be by then and most most of the things you ever do are never going to be perfect but you just got to make it as good as you can in that time and really somehow be better than you were before and stay positive you can't go to work and and have a crummy attitude no. i mean you've got to be upbeat and happy and um even though you've got so much to do you can't even think straight yeah so i think that that's a we can talk about that idea of professional character people come into the job and sometimes they have a bad day and they complain about the fact that oh nobody allows me to have a bad day and again, in an ideal world, that would be the case, but we just don't live in an ideal world. And especially if you're a manager, uh, as you said before, your energy is so important to everyone else. Um, so I guess when you, you've talked about before, come in, be awesome. Let me give you an example. It's when I was the store manager at Valley River Center 
of what is now Macy's. And when you went to walk the floor to see if it was merchandised correctly or if your salespeople were on the floor or whatever you were doing, if you left your office and started across the sales floor and down the escalator and you would have walked by, um, say, 20 associates at that point, if I was thinking really hard and had a a frown on my face, you know how when you think your face isn't naturally smiling? Uh Well, then your associates would think that you're in a bad mood. And that something was wrong. And then all of your associates that you walked by would all be, she's mad at me. What have I done? Am I going to lose my job? Uh-huh. So you you learn to put on a smile on your face, even if you're not thinking about it, because you need people to be as motivated as possible. And who wants to have a boss who you're afraid looks like they're going to fire you? So, you know, it's, it's, the, um, it's the be upbeat, um, motivate people, be positive, be happy, be tenacious. I sound like a broken recording, don't yeah. I? <laughs> I mean, but that's the point. I think the point is we really want to drill this idea. Of that's in all these things that we think about as creative. That's what you have to be. And I think another thing is that teachers, um, so I teach a lot of 8 a.m. classes, and you get in there and you need to bring it in that first minute because it, it's going to shape everything. But the other thing you learn, and I've talked to you about being in these management roles, is that if people aren't positive and you're trying to, you have to still be. And so the most professional thing I think that teachers do is they stay positive and they keep telling jokes and they keep that energy even when their students aren't giving it back to them. And it doesn't mean that you woke up in um, this energetic, positive um, mood. You get yourself to do that. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's yeah. the whole point. Yeah. Play a, a loud rap song as I drive into the university <laughs> on bad days. Uh, so uh, I think that one of the things that sort of just uh, sort of summarizes um, a lot of this is you got to be creative, but that creativity is about having the strength and resolve to go through these things. And uh, now we're both sounding like a broken record. Um, <laughs> but if you look at a lot of these characters um, in all the things that we love right now, um, for the superheroes to our characters on serials, they have one characteristic that seems to be really, really desirable, and that's strength. And um, so in the marketing world, they did some recent research on sort of what is sexy and what is attractive and what is aspirational um, because all these sort of ads that different companies were bringing out to illustrate their products were too glossy or too perfect or or too just overly blunt sexual. And it just it wasn't getting on all these desirable things that they wanted. And so what they found out really at the end is, you know, what people want in these characters is characters that have strength strength to deal with the hard things at work, strength to deal with the hard things in social situations, strength to resist problems in society. We want these strong characters and they're who we want to be and they're who we respect. And so you need to have that form of strength, whatever it is. And strength looks differently on different people, but it is a sort of generalized concept which says, if you give me something to do, I will perform. So let's take a moment to understand how you can craft your own Disney destiny story as a way to communicate to job interviews or really anyone who you are and why you are so perfectly right for the job you want or the job you already have. The Disney destiny story is a story you can craft about yourself to communicate to job interviewers or anyone 
who you are and why you are so perfectly right, even destined for the job that you want or the job that you already have. In most Disney movies, characters go through great change, but it's a specific type of change. They change into who they were always meant to be. They grow, but they grow into more of who they always were. The princess was always secretly a princess. Luke Skywalker always had the force inside of him. And these Disney Destiny stories always follow a structure of the always, the struggle, and the discovery. Luke Skywalker always was a good pilot, and he always was a special kid who looked to the stars wanting something. But he struggled about what that was and how to find it until he had his moment of discovery where he met Obi-Wan and they went on a journey where he discovered the force that had always been inside of him and used his piloting skills that he always had to save the day. It was his destiny. When people are talking about themselves in interviews or elsewhere, they often have an incomplete version of the Disney destiny. For instance, a student will say, I recently took a class and it changed me. Or someone would say, I recently had a study abroad and it changed my perspective on things. Those stories, while somewhat powerful, are far less powerful than a Disney Destiny story. The Disney Destiny works for a number of reasons. First of all, it's just good storytelling, fitting an arc that can approximate sometimes Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. The struggle that's expressed in the middle of the story is evidence of true character, passion, and willingness to pursue in this category. And the discovery point provides a concrete point of change. And the Disney Destiny also relates to research done in my lab and others that people believe others and themselves should and want others and themselves to follow their innate skills and personality. And lastly, the Disney Destiny is just true. Most likely there is a portion of your past that propels your desires for your future. So here's my Disney Destiny. I was always the science kid, but I was always more interested in people than protons and performances than physics. And in high school, I really struggled because I did well in my science classes, but I felt out of place. So in college, I went to the humanities searching to find out and discover more about people. And yet I struggled there until just by chance, I took a psychology class and I walked in and I discovered more or less who I was always meant to be. There they were asking the questions I was interested in the language, that scientific language that I understood and excelled in. And on to the stage was a teacher performing for 300 intro 101 students, helping them understand how the research could matter to public policy, to their love lives, to academia itself. And so today I take a scientific approach to the human experience and communicate knowledge in a way that hopefully you are enjoying right now. That's my Disney destiny. What's yours? So as you're talking, something that is popping into my mind, which you did you did such a great job explain, explaining the strength of a person. And when we would interview uh, to try to find future buyers. So um, undergraduates, they graduate, they would come and, and um, we would hire them as assistant buyers. And we were working to get them to be a buyer. And something that I said one time sort of summarized it all. It was... We're looking for somebody who can fly to New York, 
go into your appointment and talk to the president of the company and get what you want. It takes somebody with a lot of um, a lot of strength and a lot of character um, to sit across the table from the president of um, Levi and uh, and and get them to give you um, the money that you need um, to to run a promotion or to get them to give you the marketing you need to to um, to put together a back to school campaign and. Uh, yeah, you 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 just have to have a lot of tenacity and a lot of strength. Yeah. So one of uh one of the things I love that my student Micah did uh, with the AMA here at the University of Oregon is that him and the other AMA members decided that they would show up to companies without a faculty advisor, and so they when they go to job site visits and stuff, they show up organized. They give a plaque or some sort of a present. And they are just them. And there's no faculty member who comes with them. Uh, There's no faculty member on the site visit or even on the trip when they go up to places. And it's just like what you're saying is, let me show you that I can can do this on my own, uh, that I don't have this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Today on the podcast, we explored the 101 of the elusive quality of professionalism. We talked with Molly Malone to learn how we always need to be excellent, how we need to be well-rounded, and why grades can't be everything. We learned how to be professional and succeed in an interview with the right handshake, the right presence, and to express desire and tell your own Disney destiny story of how you always were something, how you were struggling for a while, and how eventually you discovered who you were always meant to be. And lastly, we looked at the energy and personality around professionalism, as one has to battle through the grind of life or work. We learned about the positive attitude one needs to keep, and how professionalism often mixes with creativity, and how maybe there's not always time to be creative, but you always need to be doing your weekly or even daily awesome. Big thanks to Molly Malone, who showed us the 101 of professionalism. So now, we're smarter. All right, this is uh, Drinks After Class. I'm here with editor Alec. So on after um, the edit, this uh, portion we call Drinks After the Class, uh, we like to just reflect on certain things from a more casual perspective. And so one of the first things I wanted the student perspective is you were, as we were going through the edit, you were talking about the seasonal job that she had and how that's inspirational to you. You know, a lot of times that's the best you can get is kind of this seasonal position. I, I've worked a couple at a couple of different places, and I'm I'm certainly used to. You trying. worked at the same as her, right? The exact same Macy's. In yeah, Eugene. I have worked at the same Macy's twice, so I can definitely relate to the intimidation of the manager coming out and just feeling dread and like I have to be perfect and and yeah, the intensity of it. Yeah. A manager who should probably listen to this podcast and have a more positive attitude so he can influence <laughs> his workers. Um, but yeah, that idea that you that you're you've had you've had and we've all had to take seasonal positions, mm-hmm. um, and that that's that's the place we all start, and that's where we come from. Yeah. So, did you have a first seasonal position? So yeah, I had a summer job at Costco where I was giving out samples, which sounds awesome. Yeah. But I had the bad samples. And I was wearing a hairnet, 
and I had samples of like a vitamin smoothie, which I had to say, because, you know, under contract, yeah. this is going to taste good. And it tasted <laughs> horrible. Like I, a cu- most people didn't spit it out. A couple people literally spit it out into the trash can mm. next to me. Mm. Um, and it was hilarious because they'd go around and they'd say, if you sell out, you can leave early. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is not happening. It's just cruel at that point. Yeah, and other people would sell out because they'd have like mini hot dogs or something. Like, yeah, cheesecakes, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, and I think it's it's an annoying thing that, you know, lots of us have these great dreams and we feel almost ashamed of these small positions we start in. Mm-hmm. Just don't. Just do not. And yeah. Yeah, I mean – Certainly going into those positions, I mean, from my experience, it doesn't feel like a serious job. I mean, it, it does because it's, you know, you're making money. You have to be professional. You know, you ha- you have to act like you're a worker there. But at the same time, it feels temporary. It feels like it's out of your field. It's not in the classroom. It's kind of this different world. And so and so you might like relax on it. Yeah. You know, you get in there and, you know, maybe you're really hardcore and you're like, oh, man, I, I, I got my first job. I'm going to be super hardcore. You know, I, I have all these ideas of what it means to be professional. But then you're folding jeans for five hours. And you get in there and it's a little underwhelming. It's it's a little bit, you know, you think, oh, yeah, you know, I like jeans. Maybe I'd love working at Hollister or Macy's. And then you get there and it's not as exciting as you thought it would. And yeah. so it kind of clashes with played the same taylor swift song five (laughs) times in three hours i've heard the same rendition of like the the seasonal christmas carols like over and over and yeah but i think that relates to sort of what she was saying in this grind and all this thing is that you just have to be awesome in that situation and i like this idea of we never know when our resume moments are Mm -hmm. or we never know when our recommender moments are like these moments that, oh, if I work really, really well at folding jeans, it can be awesome. You know, a lot of times, like, it isn't that first dream job that you get. It's kind of the small jobs that maybe you're not excited about, but, you know, they're the stepping stones. And it really takes the state of mind to say, this is a stepping stone and this there's valuable things I can learn from this. There's silver linings that can get me to the Google job. And then, you know, Troy, I think you made a final point um, kind of contrasting your own experience um, at Disney and your ventures, and then also kind of the professionalism that Molly characterized um, in her work history. Yeah, so I really like Molly's general idea of professionalism, and I really love this podcast of sort of this idea of this is the quality of grinding and focus and positive attitude and always be excellent and always be on top of it. But things are going to be a little bit different depending upon where you are. So Molly's comes from the world of retail where things, for lack of a better word, are more intense and professional. Mm -hmm. Um, So my worlds of Disney, Imagineering and academia is a little less so in that personality. Right. So Mm -hmm. when things aren't going good at Disney and we can't think of an idea, we literally were like, hey, let's go play laser tag or let's just (laughs) not let's just quit for today. It's 3 p.m. Let's quit and we'll come in earlier. Yeah. Let's go on a ride. Let's see who <laughs> let's see who has a new hologram in the office over there we can play with. Or um, you know, in academia now here at the university, who's, let's go float the river because it's yeah. summer and we'll have a good idea why we're floating. Mm-hmm. And 
so it's it's just a little bit different in these situations and no but the interesting thing about that is even in those situations the professionalism is really important because you mm -hmm. always even if you have that attitude you always have to be really performing and there will be days where you have to be on forever so like we'd have 15 hour plus experimental days yeah. at the disney parks and stuff and those would be just insane moments and now the, the day after we'd spend the whole day on roller coasters <laughs> but um, but that's just sort of uh, how it is. And um, so really sort of understanding, you know, what what it is that you're going into. So I think that about covers all the bases. Yeah. So uh, thanks for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, and I hope you are smarter because definitely now, now we're, we're smarter. smarter. Oh, that's terrible. Okay. That is so bad. Uh. Let's not even like put it in as a joke. <laughs> To contact 101, hit up our host Troy Campbell directly on Twitter at Troy H. Campbell or email him at troycamp at uoregon.edu. At the time of recording, we have not finalized our social media names, so this is our temporary point of contact. We look forward to your thoughts, corrections, ideas for future episodes, or whatever else you'd like to chat with us about. The 101 podcast is produced by faculty and students at the University of Oregon's Lundquist College of Business and by the University of Oregon at large. The views and opinions expressed are those of the production team and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the University of Oregon. The music of 101 is Open Flames by Blue Dot Sessions and Deviate by Poddington Bear. This has been an episode of 101 from the University of Oregon. Now we're smarter. <laughs>